7 o'clock on a Saturday night, and as usual, that means it's time for the other podcast. I'm your host, Robert Stacy McCain. And I'm not. Hello, folks. It's John Hogue, the other guy on the other podcast. And according to the indicator on my panel here, hi, Diana. Hey there. Ah, uh, there she is, all the way from exotic Valdosta, Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Um, How, val- how uh, exotic can you be when you're you know, in South Georgia. Well, you're almost in Florida. (laughs) No, no. I I, I mean, she's down there in the land of live oaks and Mm -hmm. Spanish moss. And And decent, and decent onions. Yeah, yeah, decent yeah, onions. Yeah. It's, not that far, it's not that far from Valdosta. Vidalia onions are... Vidalia, yeah. Yes. Anyways, well, you can find my good friend John Hogue's blogging at hoguash.com. Meanwhile, Stacy's scribblings lurk about the interwebs at theothermccain.com most likely, but can be found at other fine spots around the universe. And Diana... Are you ever going to publish something soon? Uh, well, if people will stop uh, asking me to actually work, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me give you the four words that I'm sure that you have heard a lot down there in Valdosta. How about them dogs? <laughs> dogs. How about them dogs? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> earlier today, number two, Georgia. Uh, took on undefeated Arkansas in an SEC matchup in Athens, and it was all Bulldogs, 37 to nothing. Uh, meanwhile, so much for being undefeated. Yeah, yeah. It being a Saturday night in October, of course, we're talking about football. Um, uh, uh, the number one ranked. Uh, University of Alabama Crimson Tide. Meanwhile, Roll Tide. <laughs> yeah, uh, defeated uh, Ole Miss in Tuscaloosa, uh, forty-two to twenty-one. And folks, it wasn't that close. Uh, mm. uh, the uh, Ole Miss made had some bad decisions of going for it on fourth down when they. It, the first time they did it, if they had to kick that field goal, hmm. and if they had to kick that field goal and gone ahead three to oh. nothing, and then, uh, you know, and then the second time they went for it and fourth down, if they had a punted, you know, they the, the worst they would have been at was minus, you know, trailing seven to three. Instead, as it was, they were behind fourteen to nothing before they ever got there. Uh, shoelaces tightened, and it was an awesome game. Bryce Young, Alabama quarterback, 20 for 26, 241 yards and two touchdowns. Meanwhile, 
The important game of the, the evening kicks off at 7.30 Eastern time, and Vanderbilt actually has played a school that they've got five-to-one odds of beating. They're playing UConn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Well, well speaking uh, against the alleged football team of Vanderbilt, but meanwhile, back in Alabama where it really matters, uh, running back Brian Robinson Jr. Uh, carried – 35 t- 36 times for 171 yards and four uh, touchdowns against Ole Miss. Meanwhile, uh, around some other teams, uh, number three, Oregon, is uh, currently leading Stanford uh, 24 to 17 in a Pac 10 matchup. Uh, Oklahoma. Uh, leading Kansas State 37 to 31 uh, with about one minute and 20 seconds left, but Kansas State has the ball, so hold on for that one. Uh, number 11, Ohio State stomped Rutgers 52 to 13, and that was in New Jersey. Uh, right now, Florida, ranked number 10, is tied with Kentucky 7 to 7 in the second quarter. Uh, number 23, North Carolina State, seven. Uh, Louisiana Tech, seven, also in the second quarter. More finals from around uh, the nation. Number seven, Cincinnati upset Notre Dame, 24 to 13 in South Bend. So uh, Notre Dame is now four and one. They take their first loss at home. Uh, Michigan, Ranked number 14, uh, 38-17 over Wisconsin in the Big Ten. Uh, Number 16, Coastal Carolina uh, defeated UL Monroe. And number 24, Wake Forest defeated Louisville. And so there will be some uh, later games on tonight involving top 25 teams. But I caught you up. With the football, now less important news. Well, actually, some of the stuff that was alleged to be top stories during the week, uh, one of them had to do with funding my job. Oh, no. Yes. Well, you see, I, my principal uh, form of employment is by selling advice to the National Autom- Aeronautics and Space Administration. Mm-hmm. And we'll, and you can talk about that later, Stacey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, he builds space, space robots, robots for NASA. No, I don't build them. I design them. Okay, that's right. Well, that's we it, have it, basically it is the job of the master to design and the servant to execute. So. Right, right. Well, actually, of the talented people uh, with skilled hands. <laughs> yeah. I'm 73 years old, and you don't want me soldering some uh, really Jedi funny Jedi master. Um, yeah. <laughs> Confused you, I have. Yeah, thank you. Uh, anyway, but but my my upcoming work schedule was just up in the air even on uh, Thursday morning when I posted about it and uh, about the, you know, there were rumors that Schumer had a deal and he got it and uh, it was like uh, that's which is fine that because what he what, to October eighteenth. No, understand. it funds it. The funding is a continuing resolution to December third. Oh, but uh, if they don't lift the debt ceiling, ah. there's no more. Uh, they're out of cash flow. Ah, so that's the that'll be the next thing. So you know, uh, w- but we'll we'll get into uh, the more scientific end of this. 
Meanwhile, the other big story of the week uh, related to where our tax money goes in D.C., uh, the, the rumor mill uh, is churning and saying that uh, uh, the that there wasn't just one indictment that uh, oh, John uh -huh. Durham got uh, uh, about the Russia collusion hoax and that uh, there's some sealed indictments sitting there. Oh, boy. Which takes care of some uh, takes the fact that the indictments exist takes care of uh, uh, this uh the problem about the uh, statute of limitations running out. Yeah. Ah, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who do we think has been indicted? Well, we know Sussman has been indicted. Yeah, we know Sussman. Well, Michael Sussman, a perhaps, lawyer for Well, there are Hillary other people. Clinton. There are people listed as tech executive one and uh, researcher number one, researcher number two, uh, newspaper number one. There are all sorts of, uh, you know, people... Uh, who aren't in, who aren't indicted in that indictment, but who are mentioned? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. apparently, there's also been a real a new raft of subpoenas that's gone out. Oh boy! So um, he and if he intends to, this is by the way, this is all about Russia Gate. Yeah, this okay. is the Russia collusion hoax. And if he intends to uh, actually prosecute the hoaxers, he's got that rolling statute of limitations, right? So it goes back five years. Well, five years back from now is uh, October 2nd, 2016. So anything th that, you know, hasn't been indicted yet uh, is uh, safe because of that. <laughs> well, but the thing is, is that most of what the, Ru most of the Russian collusion hoax stuff actually occurred in 2017 and 2018. That is true. And quite frankly, if I were a lawyer or an FBI agent who worked for uh, Mueller, mm -hmm. I'd be lawyering up, lawyering up myself. But that's just oh, yeah. me and my, uh, you know, uh, my 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 way of looking at things. So it's that's the rumor mill. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. getting looking forward to the, to the alleged twenty twenty four election. Did you see that? Uh, oh God. That, did you see that uh, uh, ad? That, uh, it's got to be a can't. It's, it's got to be a, a parody. It's got to be a real campaign ad for DeSantis rather than uh, this nope. remove Ron thing. Yeah, somebody, uh, somebody, uh, some anti uh, the, the opponents of Ron DeSantis uh, ran an ad that uh, well, it's still it's still up on Twitter. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah, and it. And, <laughs> It, but the thing is, it could be an ad for DeSantis. Well, I'm assuming that the person uh, watching it uh, had a room temperature or better IQ, and we're talking Celsius here. Yeah. Mm. Well, here's the thing that killed me about it. Um, do you know what the actual reaction to a bunch of people on a flight would be? They'd be cheering. <laughs> <laughs> Take off your masks. Yes, no vaccine can... <laughs> passports. Public schools are open for business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How? Oh, that's just the worst thing in the world. I yeah. know. Uh, I know. And it makes no sense. Think about this. It makes no sense. You're vaccinated. Right. Somehow or other, you're afraid of being <sighs> infected. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, why did I, then, then why did I? Then then why then why did I take a smallpox vaccination or polio yeah. vaccination or a uh, yellow fever vaccination? I mean, no, I didn't take I didn't take a vac the measles or mumps vaccinations because uh, by the time they came out, I had natural immunity. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. 
Well, anyway, it's, it's what's strange. You remember natural immunity? Yeah. It's the I stuff know. you well, got because you lived through the measles and yep. stuff like that? Yep. What's so, um, what is so um, uh, weird about this, and, and, you know, is this, uh, you know, is when they're saying that people who've been vaccinated mm-hmm. need to be afraid of people who haven't been vaccinated, what they're really telling you is, that the vaccine doesn't work okay? or isn't as effective as right. advertised. Right. And well, you know what? Not every vaccine works a hundred percent. There are people lose effectiveness over time. I was 28 well, when I got the bumps and I had been vaccinated. So. Yeah. yeah. I, on the other hand, uh, you know, it, it, it depends on each person individually. Mm-hmm. You know, I have been vaccinated for smallpox five mm-hmm. times ah. and I have, and I have one going to the no, but well, no, three times as a child and twice in the army, and I have one smallpox vaccination scar that I got when I was an infant. Huh. I'm, in other words, it 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 took and stuck. So you know, huh. okay, but I'll give you a hint: you are probably much better off vaccinated than not. Well, uh, and and that's just the way this, this stuff works. But you should be able to choose. Uh, unless, of course, uh, you are uh, someone who wants your uh, choices made for you. And there's a <laughs> wonderful uh, post up at um, the, our America's nat- newspaper of record. Yes. <laughs> Terrifying new horror movie for liberal audiences shows politicians leaving them alone, letting <laughs> them make their own decisions. <laughs> oh, yeah. they'll be melting down. Yeah, it says, and this is the BabylonB.com, and it says, Mm -hmm. theaters across the nation are about to leave modern audience shaking in their boots with the release of individual responsibility. A terrifying new horror movie where politicians leave people alone to make their own decisions what to do with their own lives. (laughs) Anyways, anyways, but that's... That was great. That's, you know, the the whole... uh, you know, this, this, um, just be afraid, be very, very afraid, afraid narrative. And people are just tired of it. I, you know, it's like, I've seen the polling, uh, mm-hmm. and people are willing to do a lot of things to help fight COVID. I mean, because the, the hype over this thing that began last March, if you, but were, around day 700 to 15, you start to get tired. Right, right, right. Yeah. When, you know, when it was two, two weeks to slow the spread and then another month to, to flatten, flatten the, curve. the curve, you know, and, and, and our dogs are barking again. Marley. Yeah. Marley, Marley, hush. Oh. I think you're going to, Marley, I think he's going to have dog. to go kill that dog. Well, I, I, I'm going to have to go see what that is. Y'all, y'all have fun talking a while. Oh, yeah. I'll be back. Well, while he's, yeah, well, let's let's get off on a, on a, on a real science kick. Uh-huh. Um, I had a post. Well, you know, the, the, I, if you uh, are actually looking at the, if you've joined us online, you can see that the, the title of this episode is is 59 tribes thermodynamics and crazy people are dangerous and we haven't gotten to the tribal stuff yet sort of kind of we have but we not formally but we're we're about to cross over into thermodynamics mm-hmm. uh, we're going to talk about science and science deniers uh-huh. uh, 
And I had a post. Okay, the third, the three laws of thermodynamics, uh, popularly rendered, are: you can't win, you can't break even, and you can't not play. Right. Actually, that the <laughs> that's the 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 actually that you can't play is the zeroth law, but and there is a zeroth law. Um. Um. And basically, if. Um, you get to the end of your course in thermo in engineering school or in, as a physics major, and you understand thermodynamics, you no, don't. <laughs> you didn't really get the uh, gist of the course. No. Um, and the following course for that, when I was in engineering school over 50 years ago, was called The Quantum Basis of Material Science, which we just renamed Science Fiction Physics. Yep. <laughs> uh, and but it's it's a course in why transistors work and that sort of thing. But anyway, moving back to the third world is the title Boy. of a post I had up this week. And I, I, I take note of the fact that the New York Times reports that China's electrical supply has gone flaky on them. Oh, it yeah. doesn't have the capacity to meet demand. Mm -hmm. um, and so business are having to curtail operations and uh, a lot of uh public services that rely on uh, mm -hmm. electricity, like pumping water, uh, are mm -hmm. just not, and, and, and the, the quoting from the Times, the out, outages has rippled across most of eastern China, where the bulk of the population lives and works. Some building managers have turned off elevators. Some municipal pumping stations have shut down, prompting one town to urge residents to store extra water for the next several months, although it later withdrew the advice. Look, yeah, right. um, that's happening now. And you also have the Chinese Communist Party's shaking down companies like uh, Alibaba and Tencent to uh, fund projects that they need funded, but they don't have uh, the resources for. And what you're seeing is, well, Herb Stein, uh, the economist, uh, formulated it this way. If something can't go on forever... It will stop. It will stop. And yeah, um, yeah uh, there's only so long you can run money in circles. Yeah. Well, yes, because there's a thing called uh, the uh, friction of money because uh, somebody somebody keeps taking their share. Of and course. and mm -hmm. uh, eventually uh, it 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 won it won goes away. And you know what the big wonder I have about this whole thing is? Mm. I mean, everybody thinks about China as this you know economic juggernaut. powerhouse and juggernaut, but uh, you can see things not doing too well. And I'm just wondering how this is going to affect the ten percent that's being held for the big guy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that'll be yeah. the first thing to go. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You know, um, it's they had like a housing bubble. <laughs> yeah. The Chinese housing bubble. Well, that's the other thing that's about to break. You've got. Oh, yeah. oh it's breaking already. They, mm -hmm. they have, they built, you know, they had this idea, build it and they will come. Right? Yes, but yeah, there's like a trillion dollars in uh, uh, financing and borrowed money and bonds that comes due over the next roughly 15 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, and they built these giant skyscrapers mm -hmm. for which there was no demand. Okay? I mean, yeah, the place there, there are cities that are even emptier than San Francisco. now. <laughs> well, and well you know, we wish it were empty. It was pretty obvious that they were overextending themselves with the roads and belt mm -hmm. initiative belts initiative. 
or at least I thought so. I mean, I kept saying, okay, but how are they going to pay for this? And people looked at me pityingly as if, um, but that was my thought because the intent is that they um, loan all this money for infrastructure investment. And then when the victim can't pay it back, they, uh, they essentially take it over. Well, here's the problem. At a certain point, there's only so many bankruptcies you could absorb. Yep. Never mind. Never mind. This is a long discussion. I forgot. I well, forgot. Uh, but, but, but the only, the only, the only thing that where it makes sense is where they bankrupt some fourth world country uh, mm -hmm. and take over their uh, lithium mines or something like that. Yeah. But you know that. But you're right. I mean, it's a pr basic principle of science. Mm -hmm. Okay, that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Yep. Which is one of the reasons why among the worst offenders about science denying are socialists and Marxists. Right. But, uh, well, yeah. the liberal media are also pretty good at it. Oh, uh, you're, yeah. Well, you're just repeating me, <laughs> but, uh, do you question the science, uh, Stacy? Yeah. I had a post up today called don't question the science. Yep. And you have to understand that, that the phrase, the science, right? Yeah. Okay, That's we, with a capital V. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, anyways, and I, uh, Luke Rutkowski uh, from the website, We Are Change, uh, called attention to some headlines uh, in, in the past few years, including, mm -hmm. it's time to give up on facts. Yeah. And you must not do your own research when it comes to science uh -huh. and questioning authority has become too much of a good thing and it's killing people. And these headlines, well, you know, there, there, there are two, two of these headlines, one of which you just didn't read, but there's two of these that really trouble me. One is the New York times don't go down the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I mean, That's fine. They're going to, they're going to send us down the memory hole instead. Oh, but yes. Ethan Siegel, Ethan Siegel, who writes for Forbes, is a excellent science. He's an excellent scientist on, on, in his own right, but he's an excellent science writer. And the idea that he would tell people not to do their own research just mm -hmm. boggles my mind, having read him over the last 20 years on the Internet, that he would yeah. come around to something like this. Mm -hmm. Well, people have, have um, you know, the thing is, uh, you... Just because something's on the internet doesn't make it true, okay? Yeah, Abraham Lincoln made that point quite often. <laughs> anyway, is it is that uh, you you have to you know? It, there are some people who cannot, uh, who apparently are not sophisticated enough uh, to discern between credible information, credible sources, and uh, uh, dubious things. Well, this know? isn't this isn't a new phenomenon. I used, no. you know, when I was a kid, if you could show somebody something in a book. Right. You know, right? Well, right. autodidacts fall into this trap all the time. It doesn't mean that they're stupid. It means that they don't have the training to uh, chop and, uh, and parse and uh, test and weigh the evidence. Well, it doesn't mean they're stupid. No, it doesn't mean they're it stupid. Necessarily. I mean, well, now, some fairly sophisticated people, yes, uh, get fooled. 
Yes, but the original is. meaning of sophisticated is adulterated. Mm. <laughs> well, but there are um, uh, there was a story this week, and I'm not going to go too far down this uh, uh, diversion digression. It's a rabbit hole. It's right here. You're not supposed to. Do that. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, Aussie media. I don't know if you've heard about this. Uh, this was this uh, company started by this uh, guy that seemed to have it all together. And uh, they were, they got caught. Well, their chief operating officer <laughs> was pretending to be a, a YouTube executive on a, on a conference call. <laughs> And that's when they realized that these billions of dollars that people have invested in this company might not be in the best of hands. And so oh, Lord. they were faking it. And, and Theranos is the other. Theranos, yeah. Yeah, Theranos. Uh, is that Elizabeth Holmes? Was that yes. the woman's name? Yeah, that is her name. Yeah. And and so, so people uh, can be fooled, but... Mm -hmm. The the general theme of these headlines that I was talking about mm -hmm. is that skepticism is wrong. Yeah. We must accept what we are told by those in authority. I, mm -hmm. Hold it. I remember a bumper sticker of like 40, 50 years ago said, question authority. Is that wrong now? Right, right. Yes. That used to be the liberal slogan. But then now... it became the establishment. <laughs> Right. And they're afraid of people thinking for themselves. Mm -hmm. The consensus as determined by university professors, mainstream journalists and government officials should not be subject to criticism or debate. If you are not a member of the class of credential experts authorized to determine the consensus, your duty is to shut up and obey. Galileo is unavailable for comment. Mm -hmm. Hey, um, it re the re this reminds me of um, the way that uh, Ace approached this some years ago now. I was still in the Bay Area um, when he remarked that Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, loved science sexually. <laughs> yeah, I saw that in the comments uh, yeah. there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and, and the reply to that was, uh, evil blogger lady replied, as in he gets science drunk and then molests it in his sleep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, where did this start? Okay. And, and, you know, right now we're seeing it a lot about COVID, mm -hmm. right? But where this, you know, you can't argue with quote unquote, the science, it goes back to the great global warming scare yeah. and Al Gore. <laughs> okay, Al Gore lost the presidential election in 2000. Mm -hmm. And so many things that have happened since then are indirect consequences of his defeat. Okay, and, and one of the things was is that he decided that global warming uh, was the issue. Well, why did they decide that global warming was so important? Well, it had something to do with the guy who beat Al Gore in 2000, a guy named George W. Bush, who was all in that Texas oil money, right? 
everybody knew which side of the of the uh, of the uh, partisan aisle that big oil was on. Okay, or big or big coal or small oil or small coal. Right, right. The fossil fuel industry, quite generally, uh, supported uh, George W. Bush, and therefore uh, liberals declared war on fossil fuels. And let me talk about how things change. Uh, when Connie and I were uh, looking at getting our uh, first house, that you know, buy it or build it ourselves, we wound up buying uh, something that that worked for us. We, but we actually bought a piece of property out in the country, and we were going to build a, a nice house out there. And one of the things that we were going to use, this is in the late 70s, early 80s, was uh, we were going to heat the place with wood stoves. Remember when that was a big deal? I do. Do you know? Yeah, well, do you rem know now that wood stoves are double plus ungood because yeah. of all the uh, because of all the pollution? Mm -hmm. Do you know why? Uh, do you know why Nashville is less polluted now than it was when I was a kid? Why? Because people aren't burning wood and coal in their stoves at home to uh, to heat their houses. They're using gas and electricity. Okay, uh, and. Okay. Uh, one of the one of the things that would ha will happen when we go back to unreliable electric supplies like wind and solar mm -hmm. is that I'm going to have a rick of wood out back because yep. <laughs> I've got two fireplaces in my house. Mm -hmm. I've got a fireplace in in my I've house. Got five. Oh yeah, that's right. You've got that big Victoria. Do they draw? They do. Um, they are, however, very small fireplaces. Well, they're designed for coal. They're designed for coal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that when I was there. I visited her down there. In yeah, I mean, my, of the, my, <laughs> well, when we had a, uh, an ice storm in Nashville and the electricity was out, one of the things we did was we bailed out for our grandparents' place, which uh, had six coal fireplaces and a coal cook stove. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So... Yeah. I, I, we were talking about but, the science, but that, but that is the science. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, it was science and the engineering application of science. That is the reason why, um, North America isn't deforested anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. And people say, Oh, we, you know, the trees were cut down to build houses. No, the trees yep. were cut down to heat houses. Yep. And, uh, so, and to cook food. And, you know, it was the introduction of coal stoves and gasoline stoves and mm -hmm. then gas and electric stoves. That's the reason why we got trees now, left mm -hmm. yeah. and back. And yeah, we've got a lot more forest uh, more land for now than we had 100 years ago. We got more we got more forested land in North America than when Columbus showed up. Yeah, correct. Because um, the Indians were uh, I'm sorry, Native Americans were aggressive. the indigenous peoples come on get with Good it lord is i i'm sorry i'm always behind the times first um, nations if you're canadian aggressive forest managers yes yeah. uh well i mean one of the things they did in middle tennessee was they would routinely start forest fires that would burn out the undergrowth leave the big trees the same mm -hmm. sort of they really were running the same kind of ecosystem that you see in the Pacific Northwest that happens naturally with uh, with the giant redwoods and Douglas firs and the smaller trees burning out underneath. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you know, uh, 
people uh, arriving in the Midwest uh, around 1800 or so were surprised that the, the trees were still there. It was still, it was still wooded, mm-hmm. but there was enough space between the trees they could drive their wagons. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they there was that kind of forest management. Uh, and then we clear cut stuff and planted uh, corn and wheat. Yeah. Well, anyway. But, and, but, you know, we, we, the application of science is, you know, is, 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 is what has uh, made this country productive. But go ahead, uh, uh, finish up the, uh, the, uh, the bit on this story. Well, anyways, but the, but but the point is that whenever uh, you know science comes up on, on this uh, on the uh, podcast, I end up deferring uh, to Mr. Hogue, who mm-hmm. designs space robots for NASA. Yeah, well, it's a it's a nice space, day. space, space, space robots, robots. It's no, a nice no. day job. We, we we you need to get this on an Echo, you know, to put it on a. a I haven't a I haven't gift. run I haven't run Echo on a broadcast line since the late sixties. Anyway, no. fish expander on it. A uh, 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 Fisher space, space expander for robots. Uh, reverb, yeah, yeah. Or NASA. Yeah, yeah. NASA. Yeah. Actually, uh, but look, it's a day job and it, it helps fund what I'm doing. Meanwhile. Stacy's day job is writing his blog and doing this podcast. And if you appreciate what Stacy does, you should pay attention to him when he tells you about the yellow button. It's time for shameless capitalism on the other podcast. Uh, at which point I tell you that if you will go to my blog, theothermccain.com, you will notice near the top of the center <laughs> column the yellow button with the word donate on it. If you will mm-hmm. click uh, the yellow button, and uh, it will take you to my PayPal account where you can contribute to the support of the blog and also support the podcast, but most importantly, to make my wife happy. And this week, folks, this week, I just want to make a special appeal to our listeners, readers, whatever. Uh, $9.70. Okay, that's the amount. Okay, if you're if you're listening to the podcast, go to the blog, hit the yellow donate button, and donate nine dollars and seventy cents. If I can get ten people to do that, right, that covers the cost of the fireworks I bought yesterday. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I I I I just had that itch. You know, uh, every Fourth of July, my family and I try to get together and put on a big show. And so, so I, I am slowly accumulating the stash, but I, I, I speak of the importance of making my wife happy. And when I spend money on fireworks, she's not very happy. So if we could do $9 and 70 cents, uh, that's all I ask. Meanwhile, over at my good friend, John Hogue's blog, hogwash.com. Ah, oh, if you look in the sidebar over there on the right of the homepage, you will see the tip jar icon, click on that, be taken away to my PayPal account where you can help support the blog. Or you can go down and click on that icon of a hat. That'll take you off to the Hogwash store, where in about a week, we are also going to have merch related to the other podcast. Ooh. So now you've got an extra reason to uh, g- uh, hit that one as well. 
Uh, or you can use the shopping links to Amazon that you'll find uh, at our blogs. We both participate in the Amazon affiliate program, which is a nice thing Amazon does where if you route your purchases through a participating blogger with the right kind of links, we get a cut of the action. That's something that Amazon does for the good of the internet that I appreciate. Regardless, please remember the five most important words in the English language. Hit the freaking tip jar. Indeed. Now, meanwhile in Philadelphia. Well, no, I wasn't going to go to Philadelphia. I was actually going to go to Florida. Yeah. Well, yes. The 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 Florida man who's actually a Philadelphia man. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I would uh, I would also like to say uh, he is the first person I've uh, met, known, come, become aware of, n- named McGinty, mm. who isn't black. Really? Okay. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's an Irish name, right? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Well, anyways, meanwhile, I had a, a post this week called The Power of Political Tribalism mm. uh, featuring Ed McGinty, uh, a resident of the villages in Florida who has been uh, making himself obnoxious to his neighbors by riding around in his golf cart plastered with anti-Trump signs. And we have pictures of this so that you can see Mr. Mm-hmm. McGinty and the signs um, that he They're has. rather rude. It, well, yeah, deliberately so. Anyways, well, uh, McGinty was arrested and charged with stalking after oh. he accosted a woman at the neighborhood swimming pool who was wearing a T-shirt with the slogan, Joe Biden sucks. And um, anyways, anyways, and I uh, use that as a a springboard to talk about the power of political tribalism, because Mm -hmm. why would this Ed McGinty um, be the way he is? This outspoken, rude, uh, troublemaking, you know, the villages, by the way. Uh, is about 80% Republican, okay? It is one of the most, you know, more Republicans per square mile than any single location in Florida, okay? It is it is really that way. And all the Republican candidates who are, you know, like running in the Florida primary, they've got to go to the villages, okay? Uh, when um, Mark Stein or... Um, uh, Mark Levin or Sean Handy, somebody like that, has a new book out. They go to the villages to promote it. I mean, it's it's really uh, you know uh, you know it's ground zero of conservatism because it's a lot of retirees and and fairly affluent uh, retirees. So why is Ed McGinty causing all this trouble down there? <laughs> well, it, it, I, I read, you know, I researched the guy and there was a, a Washington Post profile last year, which mentioned that McGinty, a retired real estate broker and Philadelphia native, quote, has always been a Democrat, just like his parents before him. Aha. In other words, McGinty inherited his partisan loyalty to the Democratic Party, and until he moved to the villages a few years ago, he had lived inside a bubble where such loyalty was commonplace 
especially among Irish Catholics like himself. In 1960, when Ed was 11 years old, America elected its first Irish Catholic president, John F. Kennedy, Mm -hmm. who got 68% of the vote in Philadelphia. Now, I can relate to this because I grew up in Georgia at a time where there was no Republican Party to speak of. Well, I'm a recovering Democrat. I grew up in Tennessee in a family that had been Democrats since the days of Andrew Jackson. Right, right, right. We go back that far. And, and you know, in the old solid South days, uh, you, you, I mean, you might vote, you know, depending on the you know, who was running for president, you might split your ticket, right, to vote for a... a Not from, not where I'm from. (laughs) Well, anyway, (laughs) some people did, obviously, uh, or Richard Nixon would not have uh, won in a landslide, but the Eisenhower was another who who, uh, had some um, uh, traction in the solid set, another Republican. He could get veterans to vote for him. Right, right, right. And so... um, but but they're just at the local level in terms of state legislatures and stuff like that. There were just no Republicans. They did, mm-hmm. it was you just didn't even think about it. And that's the kind of thing that breeds that tribal sense. Well, uh, it's important that Ed to know that Ed McGinty is from Philadelphia, which mm-hmm. went for Obama by eighty three percent in two thousand eight. 85% in 2012, and in 2016 went for Hillary Clinton by 83%. And so in that kind of worldview, if you're from that kind of place, that time and place, being a Republican is just wrong. It's bad. And and um, and so um, that's why Ed McGinty, uh, it plasters his golf cart with signs denouncing his Republican neighbors as racist, etc. Quote, I'm proud that I'm standing up for what's right, told the local newspaper. There's never been a doubt in my mind that what I'm doing is right. Never a doubt in his mind. That is what political tribalism looks like. Yep. Yep. Uh, what was your experience in the Bay Area, Diana? Oh, God. Confess that you're a Republican and you better have a nice turn of speed to avoid the howling mob. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, like I said in the comment section on Stacy's uh, post, uh, I'm a recovering Democrat. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, basically I had a, a post that that I put up following his called Politaholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And I basically sent people off to read uh, Stacy's uh, blog post and my comment and then, you know, come back. I'll wait. And then uh, I continue with, you know, Otto von Bismarck famously described politics as the art of the possible Mm -hmm. and compromise with people who don't share your beliefs and goals is involved. Mm -hmm. Um, Jerks like McGinty. Um, have allowed their partisanship-driven passion to just go absolutely batshit crazy. Uh, And because he can't control his neighbor's beliefs, he has become powerless over politics and his and theirs, and his life has become unmanageable. Now, uh, 
So you people who uh, are familiar with 12 steps know where this is going. Um, uh, you know, you may have noticed that I've described myself as a recovering Democrat. Mm. Uh, Maryland's voting laws have re pretty much required me to register as a Publicans, Republican so that I can uh, vote in primary elections, the party that's most closely aligned with my views. Mm. Hold on a second while I cough. Yes. <clears throat> Oh, that was fun. Um, and I occasionally vote for independents or candidates from other parties. And why? Because um, I believe that alliances and compromises are necessary to get things done. A better deal, you know, a, a good, a better deal is better than the best deal when the best deal's off the table. Right. And so, you know, you have to make progress. That doesn't mean I don't poke fun at the other side, but I try to keep things at least a little bit civil. Mm -hmm. um, perhaps being arrested for stalking <laughs> will, will, will cause McGinty to uh, hit bottom it and allow a power average. greater and allow a power greater than himself to restore his sanity. You know, uh, Dana commenting at, at our blog. I, I, I excuse me for going blank on Dana's name. I, I, mm -hmm. I Pico. Pico, yes, Dana Pico, uh, uh, who is always, <laughs> always asking me to check out Philadelphia news, by the way. But Dana Pico <laughs> uh, pointed out that, uh, and this was something I didn't mention in here, but, but uh, Ed McGinty, in talking about you know, what a staunch Catholic he is, yeah. says, boasts about that he attended Cardinal Doherty High School. Well, Dana points out that Cardinal, Cardinal Doherty High School closed in 2010. It's been closed for over 10 years. Mm. Well, why is that? Well, it has something to do with the changing demographics of uh, Philadelphia. It seems that the Irish Catholics didn't really follow the doctrine uh, uh, in terms of uh, family planning uh, in, over the past 50 years, basically. And so, and so those large families that once supported uh, parochial school system, well, they've had to shut a lot of those down because they're not keeping up the pro-life doctrine. They're not, they're not walking the walk. Well, okay? they, they, and, they, and there has been a demographic change as Dana points out, that uh, it's basically Bloods and Crips territory up there right now. So. Well, yes, but uh, you know that just gives people a, a different identity mm -hmm. and a chance to hate. Yeah, that's what identity is all about. I got uh, I got uh, linked this week mm -hmm. uh, by uh, you got Ed Driscoll. Yeah, yeah you got, got Instalanched at an Insta funded for a post I did on identity, opposition, and hate. And you can see it uh, if you will go to my blog, theothermccain.com. It's the one with the picture of a pile of skulls at the yep. top. That pile of skulls is from a museum in Cambodia, mm. uh, which recalls the killing fields of the uh, communist revolution in uh there and see, we are old enough that we remember Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge oh, yes. and the Democratic uh, Kampuchea. <laughs> Year zero, it was, they declared. Yeah. Uh, the idea that they were going to start from scratch. Well, right. let me just say that 
I've never been on the ground in Cambodia. <laughs> okay, that's right. And, and 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 if you told us anything else about Cambodia, we would uh, we would have to kill ourselves. So anyways, it's a top secret, so still classified. We no, actually, nothing, nothing. Wait, wait, wait. Did it involve Martin Sheen? <laughs> no, it, uh, no, but it did, in fact, uh, uh, involve one, the officer that his character was uh, patterned on. Oh, and okay. I'll show you his picture next week. I'll, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll bring I'll bring the stuff in. Anyways, but 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 when you t speak about Cambodia, now, I also I'm invoking, by the way, uh, Apocalypse Now. I, I, I will also show you the picture of the guy that Robert Duvall was playing. <laughs> yeah, I've met Robert Duvall, who's a great I, American, but, by the way. Yes, but I, I mean the. The guy who he was playing, I, yeah. I, I I'll show I you his picture. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Uh, yeah, but the thing actually, is, I do. The thing is, is that, 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 that this is the part of the show. This is the part of the show where the soundtrack, right? Okay, the soundtrack <laughs> will be Jimi Hendrix all along the Watchtower, <laughs> or, or or it might also be. Uh, Credence Clearwater, Fortunate Son. These or are it could be, or it could just be in the background, a line like LBJ, the bow gunner saying, "Remember that tab of uh, LSD I was saying." <laughs> anyways, anyways, but the, but yeah, the soundtrack of, of all Vietnam movies is the same, right? It, it, it's certain songs they have to play. Yeah, certain songs they have to play. In the in in the background and 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 the sound of chopper blades for the sound effects and so so we're having the flashback to Cambodia here because and I started out talking about uh, when I was in college I studied developmental psychology mm -hmm. uh, and aced it of course uh, mm -hmm. but it wh what it what this was about is one of the the core lessons was about identity formation how does the child develop their own sense of identity because you know when a child is born you know the idea of object permanence and and so many concepts that we take for granted the child doesn't have the infant doesn't know they understand they, they, the passage of time mm -hmm. you can't say i'll change your diaper in a half hour they don't <laughs> understand that. well but but you know what they are the best scientists in the world and by applying the scientific method they start figuring things out the way things really work all right well anyways but but uh we when we think of uh high schools and teenagers uh and the cliques that form uh, among them, it, it, and this the sense of group membership as the basis of identity. Okay, that that's very important. You know, you were when you were in high school, you were. Uh, I was one of the nerds. You were one of the nerds. I was kind of had one foot in the nerd camp because I played trombone in high school band and stuff like that. Um, but I also had another foot in the hoodlum camp because I was a, a juvenile delinquent. I and, was and so, a weirdo. <laughs> you were just Funny. a weirdo. There, other people are jocks, you know, or something. <laughs> you know, there's the cheerleaders and the jocks, and there are little cliques in high school. And, and membership is important, and politics goes the same way, you know, that, mm -hmm. that identifying, and we talked about Ed McGinty, how that tribal sense of his identity as a Democrat is so important to them. But 
Then we come to what is known as identity politics, Ooh. which which is an antisocial tendency and ultimately destructive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, it's very natural that your sense of group membership should be reflected in your politics, that it, 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 the farmer is concerned about how the policy will affect the farmers. The, mm -hmm. the industrial worker cares about how it will affect the industry and wages and things like that. And so, so this engages us, you know, our sense of membership. Are we, are we from the South or the North, the West, the East? What, you know, who are we? That's natural. But identity politics follows a logic um, where claims of systemic racism um, incite antisocial attitude that ultimately results in the belief that the only way to end oppression, right? The, the, you know, the idea that people are oppressed, right? And they're oppressed by society and therefore destroy society. There is a certain logic to this. Well, yeah, but the logic falls out of what happens when you're a French intellectual and you see that Marxism has failed in the Soviet Union. And, and, and so you come up with... Uh, uh, Postmodernism. Yeah, and you, you're, you're, you become Foucault. And, you know, it. you have to figure out, well, it isn't the, the bourgeoisie versus mm -hmm. the workers, It's but it's every other kind of identifiable group against every other identifiable group. And, and the easiest... Where it ends up? And you know where it ends up? Uh, Campuchia. <laughs> Yeah, that or given that this is the U.S., a bunch of heavily armed ethnic enclaves sh uh, happy to shoot at each other at the slightest excuse. Right, right, right. Well, <laughs> except that, well, okay, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, one of the ethnicities or one of the tribes uh, is willing to be armed. Uh, I think that some they expect that somebody else will do it for them, but oh. you know that, that that is true. When you cut cut to the chase on uh, on your post, you get down to what these people are saying is mm -hmm. they don't want a better America; they want America gone. Right, and I talked about I talked about uh, uh, there's so much world history, you know, so much history mm -hmm. in general that Americans, even Americans who claim to be educated. Don't know. And for instance, the genocide in Rwanda. Oh uh, one of the crucial parts of that was RLTM, something called mm -hmm. RLTM, also known as radio genocide, mm -hmm. uh, which was the uh, incited hatred against the Tutsis. It was mm -hmm. a Hutu controlled militias that slaughtered the Tutsis. And that that's, you know, and one of the, the most uh, dreadful civil wars of modern times. Well, yeah, but, you know, others, other civil wars get fought around the uh, the world, including ours. Uh, Pete, uh, the tech guy, had a, a post up. Basically, uh, and people should go over to the, the tech guy got blog and read his post mm -hmm. called The Left's Dirty Little Secret. Black America since 1865 is one of the greatest success stories in the history of mankind. And yep. basically, you know, if you think about, and, and Stacy wrote about this in a post we're, we're going to get to, uh, mm -hmm. the blacks came out of no 
civilization at all at the end of the Civil War, essentially. And over the next hundred years, built one. Uh, and uh, as soon as the Democrats were taken out of their way, they, or as much as possible, they, they did pretty well. <laughs> Since 1965, the Democrats have kind of been in their way and caused a lot of problems. But I, I you know, uh, and, but this is just a, an example of this kind of tribal hatred that people uh, stir up. But let's go on to Stacy, you you did a, a a post, you know, then and now about this. Yeah, I um it's very interesting. I I I I've got a post up called quote unquote the Negro problem then and now. And it's illustrated if you go to my blog the other com. I think you'll have to skip to the second page, but um but anyways, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, uh, anyways, and, and so I, I gave some historic context. Uh, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones is, is known as the uh, uh, prime author of what is known as the 1619 Project which is about demonizing America. Well, it's basically a fraudulent history, assuming that the whole point of the exercise was slavery. Right, right, right. Claiming that the American Revolution was motivated by slavery. Well, I quote uh, from an 1884 article in the Atlantic Monthly Mm -hmm. uh, by Professor Nathaniel Shaler, who for 40 years was a leading professor of science at Harvard University. And he talked in a practical way about the situation uh, facing uh, black, you know, the nation and black America uh, in at the, you know, 20 years after the civil war. And, and it's worth reading uh, even if, you know, Obviously, uh, no modern liberal or, or in probably most modern conservatives would, would be horrified by you know, his point of view on it. Mm-hmm. But it's important to read the original documents. And, and it's important to understand what the best people, our betters, were thinking 130 30 years, years ago. 130 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time, you know, uh, this is the era of Frederick Douglass, Sojourner mm-hmm. Truth, um, and uh, uh, Harriet, that's a little Har- after Sojourner it, Truth. No, she lived in uh, t- t- uh, this that year. She she was she was <coughs> she she uh, was born in seventeen ninety seven and lived into her nineties. Okay, well, uh, but 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 uh, but but you know, it's the era of uh, when. Uh, in the formative years of people like George Washington Carver, mm-hmm. right? Or uh, and and so, you know, you see progress. Don't forget Yeah, you 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 have uh, you have a civilization forming in spite of uh, you know uh, uh, what's going on around them. So there's mm-hmm. there's, but you know to. The, the there was an there was a huge uh, uh, mm-hmm. idea in uh, at the top of our American society not to to segregate so much as to exclude, mm-hmm. and you know this is exactly the the guy you're pointing at. 
Well, I mean, you know, and so I um, also quote something that I found with the assistance of Ibram Kendi. Oh. You know who Ibram Kendi is? Yeah. Ibram Kendi is the author of the uh, BLM text, um, uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, anti Ibram X. Kendi. Book. Yeah, well, it's a it's a, a leading CRT text, a, a critical race theory text, and it's all about not how you know systemic racism, uh, white supremacy, blah blah yeah, blah, right. blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. sure. Well, anyways, uh, I, I, while I was researching Mr. Kendi, I came across an article he wrote explaining where he got the title of his first book called uh, "Stamped from the Beginning." Uh, the Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. And he quoted uh, a, uh, and he got the title uh, from a Senate debate in 1860. And the senator uh, was speaking about uh, the, he said something, and, and I will quote this sentence, quote, this government was not founded by Negroes nor for Negroes, but by white men, for white men. Now, that, of, of, of course, you know, you, you couldn't get elected even in Mississippi talking that way. Well, you couldn't get elected in Maryland that way, but uh, uh, Justice Taney, just two years before, had written the Dred Scott decision that said, mm -hmm. you know, if we let blacks be citizens, they could do things like Vote. Vote or carry firearms. Well, anyways, but, but, the, but the point, and this is the point that is important to see, and it's important. Why is this important to understand? Mm -hmm. So far as I know, no one has ever produced evidence, okay, that the founding fathers disagreed with that senator I was quoting. Uh -huh. That was Jefferson Davis, by the way. Uh, yeah. It, it, in Justice Taney's decision in the Dred Scott case, the famous Dred Scott case, in which he declared that under the Constitution, that the framers of the Constitution had never intended, right, that to have a uh, multiracial democracy. This was beyond their plan or, or any, any part of their scheme. And so here we are now, 150 years, 150. 160 years later, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and it, the world has changed over and over again, you know, that we're not living in that world. But the point is, is that we have to ask ourselves, if this was not the plan of the Constitution, have we done better than Justice Taney uh, would have predicted? Right. Okay. You know, are we going to make a success out of this or not? Well, I think, uh, first of all, I may be able to show you some stuff in the writings of James Madison that may change Correct. your view about the founders. Well, uh, no, but, but, secondly, but secondly, uh, you know, no, but we, we are not those people. Mm -hmm. We are, I mean, I am at least am, uh, five generations away from any, from any member of my family who was an adult at that time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, my great grandfather was born in 1861. Okay. So, well, my great grandfather uh, was captured at Gettysburg. So, so I'm one generation closer, but, because but I'm the but, younger 
I'm the younger son of a younger son. Yeah. So it's, you know, that that's the way it goes. But here we are. Um, you know, we're in a different world mm-hmm. and we have to live in the world that we are in. Right. That's reality. Right. And, 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 and to deny reality that way is even more foolish than denying mm-hmm. science. Yeah. By the way, you know, it's interesting, though, the way people look at reality. Mm-hmm. I saw some interesting polling data, and I've got an interesting polling factoid uh, to point out here. Um, now, that assumes the polls are accurate, of course, but it seems that more people have a favorable opinion of Joe Biden huh? than believe the country is going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's like, well, like Rasmussen, take Rasmussen as an example. Uh, 40% of the people approve of Biden, but only 32% say the country's going in the right direction. So that's like 8%, which would be 20% of Biden's base, potentially. Does that mean that a significant number of Biden supporters approve of his leading the country the wrong way? (laughs) Well, that may, you know... That very well may be. They may be the same people who want um, America crushed and destroyed rather than made better. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, but, you know, from my point of view, that's absolutely crazy. Mm. And Stacy, I may not have told you this before, but are you aware that crazy people are dangerous? (laughs) Yeah, yes. And, And this week... Uh, in the in the famous category of crazy people are dangerous, literally, if you will Google the phrase "crazy people are dangerous," it'll take you to my blog. Uh, uh, and, and this week we have a great one uh, out of California, where, yep. of course, everybody's crazy. We now there are escapees. That, <laughs> yeah, that right, so, right, right. I mean, I may be crazy, but, but Alexandra <laughs> Soberneva. So there, uh, I'm sorry. You, uh, you pronounce it. No, close enough. Close Alexandra Sovernava? Sonervna. Okay, okay. I, I'm never going to get this it's right. A, it, it's a Northern California Russian thing. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> okay, right. Well, the weird thing is, is that her name, if you look at it, um, it's uh, Sovernevna. Uh, she's uh, using Sovernevna. She's using uh, the she's sticking with the traditional Russian thing of the woman, a woman puts the a at the end. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, than, it's interesting. I, I well, was, she's I, 30 years old and blonde and she's nuts. And she's, she's got those crazy eyed look in her mugshot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, um, I thought it was an, uh, uh, a cleaned up picture of Deb Fresh yeah, for a second. No the the, the no, resemblance to Deb Fresh is... is not accidental, I'm sure. Uh, the Monterey Herald <laughs> describes her as a scientist because she has a bachelor's degree from California Institute of Technology and later enrolled in a PhD program. However, Sovernava describes herself as a shaman. <laughs> A California shaman, and I'm now reading from the article, a California shaman charged with starting a wildfire that is threatening thousands of homes claimed it started by accident while she was boiling bear urine to drink. 
Okay. Yeah, right. Alexandra Soverneva, 30, faces up to nine years in prison for allegedly sparking the Fawn Fire, which has destroyed 41 homes and 90 smaller structures and is threatening more than 2,000 other homes. Um, she, she told uh, authorities that she was thirsty while out hiking and came across a puddle of what she believed to be bear urine and tried to make a fire to boil it. Now, hang Why on there a second, folks. I, I, would you, I, I mean, you suppose you did come across a puddle of bear urine. Would you drink it after it had been boiled? I, I, there's no amount of treatment of bear urine that would make me want to drink it, but that's. I mean, I can. can I'm not a Russian shaman. Okay? Well, the, uh, you know, I can imagine taking a, a fluid like that and distilling it and drinking the distilled water, but no. Well, the police say a search of Soverneva's backpack found quote. A green leafy substance she admitted to smoking that day. Because, of course, you're a shaman in California. She was also a yoga instructor, certified scuba dive master, piano teacher, and camp counselor, and a member of the Green Party. And uh, um, uh, her attorney indicated that she might be having quote, a possible mental health crisis. Yes, thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I can all, it proves one thing, crazy people are dangerous. And I hear the boogie woogie piano in the background that tells me it's time for us to uh, say goodbye. Uh, we will be back here next Saturday, 7 o'clock Eastern, the usual time for the other podcast. John Pogue? Yes, I am. And uh, Diana and Valdosta. Yes. And All we'll right. talk to you later. Good night, Good everybody. Night. Thank <laughs> you.